Good evening, everyone. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 19 tonight. Luke chapter 19, a message I call Peace for the City of Peace. Peace for the City of Peace. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke chapter 19 records the uh, prequel, in a way, of Jesus' last visit to the city of Jerusalem uh, before he would uh, die on the cross of Calvary. It is, as we call it, the last week, and that is beginning. If you uh, look back up in uh, the first part of the chapter, Luke chapter 19 and verses 1 up through verse 9, you know, you'll find a rather famous story. Uh, Jesus is uh, headed up to Jerusalem. Now remember that he was going during the Passover season. And the Passover season was the busiest time of the year. The historian Josephus reported that during the Passover uh, it was not uncommon for the population of Jerusalem to surpass a million people. Uh, now, whether you could trust Josephus or not, I don't know. I'm just telling you, that's what he said. Uh, it seems amazing that Jerusalem, during the Passover, would become one of the largest cities in the world. But even if it didn't surpass a million, it still would become one of the largest cities in the world during Passover season. Everyone's guest room was filled. Everybody's house was filled. Everyone's anywhere you could put anybody was filled to overflowing Jerusalem Passover. So as Jesus would leave Galilee and come through the Jordan River then and head down toward Jericho. And Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho, would be the place where they turned up. Uh, remember from Galilee, you're going down all the way, down, down, down. Uh, in fact, from the time that uh, you leave the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River Valley, from the time you get out of the Sea of Galilee, you're below sea level all the way until the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea. By the time you get to Jericho, you're so far below sea level that you've entered a subtropical climate. Jericho is warm year-round, palm trees renowned place for its climate, Jericho. When he comes into Jericho, the crowds have swelled around Jesus. Amazing. And there was a little guy, short fellow, fairly famous, by the name of Zacchaeus, who was desperate to see Jesus, though he wasn't just a publican, he was the chief of the publicans, the Bible says. And he was a very rich man. But the crowds were swelling so great around Jesus, he couldn't see him. So he climbed up a tree just to see Jesus. And isn't it amazing that out of all of that crowd of people, at such a moment when Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem, knowing what is awaiting him, knowing what's to come, he sees Zacchaeus up a tree and tells him, you come down because I'm going to go to your house today. And he did. He did. 
So we have that story to start things off tonight. For us to understand the setting and what all is happening. Jesus is headed up as he's going though. We have that marvelous encounter with Zacchaeus. He took the time to tell a story, a very famous story, about a nobleman who uh, came and uh, left his country and was going to a far country to receive a kingdom in return. Guess who that story was about? He calls together his servants then and he gave one of them ten talents and he said to him, do business with this until I come. He gave another five and he said, do business. He gave one one talent and said, do business and until I come. But in verse 14, then Luke added this detail. He said that Jesus said, but his citizens hated him. That is the noble man who was going to receive a kingdom and come back. They hated him and sent word, we will not have this man to rule over us. Yeah, we know who that was about. But true to his word, the nobleman received the kingdom, came back, called those men that he had given talents to into account. The ten had done well with his ten, and he had doubled it. The five had done well. The one, though, had hidden his talent in the ground and done nothing with it. And so Jesus took that talent, the king, the nobleman, took that talent away from him and gave it to the one that had ten. And when they called that into question, they said, but he has ten already. Jesus said that the nobleman responded in this way. But again, this is his point. Verse 26, for I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he talked about a time when those who were entrusted with talents, with things and told to occupy, to do business until I come. They were all going to be called into account. And they were. He talked about the one who did nothing with what he was given. He was held accountable. What he had been given then was given to someone else. It was part of their reward. We might be troubled by the statement where he said, Bring these in and have them slain, my enemies slain before me, those who rejected me, those who refused me. Remember, this same Jesus is the same one who talked about people who would stand before him saying, Lord, have we not done mighty, wonderful things in thy name? In thy name, have we not done many marvelous works, cast out demons? And what would he say in that day? I will say to thee, depart from me, you, for I never knew you, you that work iniquity, depart from me. Repeatedly, Jesus talked about those who would be cast into everlasting torment because they rejected Jesus Christ. When we talk about Jesus as our tender and loving Savior, let's remember that that tender and loving Savior is available to you right now. But if you wait until after death, you will not face the tender and loving Savior. You will face the King of kings and Lord of lords who you rejected and refused and lived in rebellion against. Hmm. The fact that people said, we're not going to give him the kingdom. Guess what? It didn't stop him from getting it, did it? It's right there in the story. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus stops in Jericho and visits 
with a guy named Zacchaeus. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus tells him a story about those who received him and acknowledged him and were given talents and some did good with him and some didn't and some who rejected him. And then he got there. And the Bible records how that uh, when they got up on the Mountain of Olives in Jesus and they drew near to Bethany and Bethphage, those cities, that uh, villages that were just outside of Jerusalem, famous in their own way, that Jesus would send the disciples to find a colt. Uh, and they said, uh, go in verse 30, go into the village opposite you, and where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, sat loose it, and bring it here. So they did that. And they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him. But it was no bucking bronco cowboy scene. Which you might expect with a colt that had never been ridden. And he didn't even have a saddle or a bridle. But they put the clothes on him. And he took that the master, the master of all set on him. And he was in full submission. This was, the commentary said, actually a, a Palestinian wild colt, a donkey. They have another name for it, but that donkey knew its master. He knew who was there and he submitted to him. And there were others then who put their clothes on him. And as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. And I've stood there. When you get there on the Mount of Olives. The whole city of Jerusalem stretches out before you. And as he was standing there looking at it. And the multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice. For all of the mighty works that they had seen. Saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees. Call to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. <laughs> the donkey knew. The stones knew. How did the stones know? I don't know. I'm just telling you what's in the text. Was Jesus speaking just uh, metaphorically, as some would suggest? Yeah, probably. Had the crowd stopped shouting, though, and the stones opened up, it wouldn't have surprised me a bit. And it was at that point, verse 41, that the Bible says, Jesus wept. Jesus did not get a little misty-eyed. Maybe have a little tear in the corner of his eyes. His voice was not cracking with emotion. That's something you see regularly from men. The older they get, the more it happens to them. And you see it from me a lot. It happens. Your emotion begins to show and you're not real good at holding it back. There's been very, very few times over the course of my entire life that I have seen grown men break out just weeping and howling in tears, copious tears. I remember a man who wept uncontrollably. He'd lost a child in a tragic, tragic accident, and there was no comforting him. 
And again and again, he would go to the casket, and again and again and again, he'd collapse in tears. I've seen a few other times, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but you see a lot of children cry. You, you see a lot of ladies cry, and, I don't, and I'm not insulting you for doing that. Uh, uh, women cry when they're happy and cry when they're sad and cry when they're mad. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's confusing as all get out to us men folk, but it, uh, uh, it's unusual for me. Jesus wept. I mean, he wept aloud. He cried in anguish, bitter, bitter tears he wept it's an unusual scene that set before us as the giddy crowd was shouting hosanna and blessed is he that comes in the name of the lord and uh, peace in heaven and all these wonderful things on earth glory to god in the highest and the pharisees there's always the pharisees around shouting things down and saying man you folks need to hush you, you people don't we, we don't act that way in our church you know? <laughs> You need to stop this. And Jesus crying. And these incredible words, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I want to talk about this for a little while tonight as we think about the peace for the city of peace. You do know Jerusalem, Jeru, Yeru is the Hebrew word for city. Salem is the Hebrew word for peace, city of peace. It's probably one of the most fought over pieces of real estate on the planet. It is revered by three major religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And those three religions have fought over that piece of ground again and again and again and again and again. City of Peace. And yet long ago, the Prince of Peace stood there and wept because Jerusalem said they didn't know the things that make for their peace. It reminds me a lot of our world today as people long for peace. And peace is available, but they have no idea where to get it or how it comes. Jesus was weeping and burdened over this. And I, I want to share with you a few things out of this passage that are obvious as to why that Jesus was burdened and what was happening. First of all, we see their lack of vision. Their lack of vision. Jesus said in verse 42, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, if you had known, first of all, even you, even you, Remember Simon Peter talked about the stone that the builders rejected? The builders of all people. If anybody should have known what the stone was and what its significance was and where it fit and how important it was, it should have been the builders. I mean, if anybody knows that this is a foundational stone, this is a key part of the whole structure, we have to get this in place and we have to get it right or we'll mess up the whole thing. This is the head of the corner If anybody should know that, it should be the builders. I never forget watching a a team of uh, a crew of builders pull up at a housing development where Nancy and I lived when we lived in Branson, Missouri. And I promise you, there was not a frame and square in the bunch. I looked. I looked. 
They just went out there and started throwing the thing together. I'm surprised that the house even stood. I guess they knew what they were doing. Maybe they had it so well in their eye that they could just figure it out. I don't know how you can frame up a house without a framing square. But they did. They did. I hope it was right. The builders don't always get things right. I know that's an amazing thing to you. Architects. Don't always get things right. But in this case, this was the Jewish people. And if anyone should have known, it would have been them. Paul the Apostle years later would ask the question, uh, What then advantage hath the Jew? And he would answer, Much in every way. But chiefly unto them were committed the oracles of God. If anybody should have known, they should have known. Daniel the prophet had very famously given them the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And in that prophecy, Daniel had predicted the very year of the birth of the Messiah. The wise men from the east showed up. They saw the star. That's where Daniel had been. They knew what a great prophet Daniel was. They revered him and they knew his words. They showed up. Asking the question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Why? It was his year. They knew it. He also predicted the year when the Messiah would be cut off. It's right there in Daniel's prophecy. It was time. No wonder Jesus said that the rocks would cry out if these were silent. Why? It was time. This was a culmination of hundreds of years of prophecy of God giving this one a little and this one a little and this prophet a little and here another one and here, here another one. And now it's all come together at just the right time and if anybody should have known that, it was them. Even you. Even you. I wonder when Jesus comes again, if he won't point his finger at a lot of Baptists saying, if anybody should have known, it should have been y'all. Even you. Even you. How could they have gone about, as Jesus said, about their business? How could they have gone on just like nothing was happening when the most profound event of human history was playing out before their eyes and they didn't see it? Bible tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. And these people didn't have it. They could not see. It was hidden from their eyes. So they didn't know, even them, especially in this your day, that it was their day. They are hidden from your eyes. They were blinded. And because of that, they did not see the things that made for their peace. Now, I don't want to leave this in the abstract or theoretical today. I preached about that this morning. I want to make it personal for all of us and for all of you watching at home. We don't need to point our finger at Jerusalem from long ago. Because it's possible right here in Cabot, America, for people to live their lives blinded to the things that really will give them peace. You can live a life full of turmoil and anxiety and worry. You can. And all the while, the things that make for your peace are living right there inside of your heart if you know Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that he wanted our, us to enjoy his peace and to experience that peace, my peace I give unto you. Not like the world gives unto you. Jesus Christ gives us his peace. 
It is the peace that passes understanding. We might not can explain it. <laughs> we can't explain it because we don't understand it. But in our heart, there can be a true and abiding peace through Jesus Christ. But we have to know what gives it. Know who gives it. Know how to experience it. And all of that is spelled out for us in Scripture. But we can be as blind to it as Israel was in their day. There was a lack of vision. They did not see what was available to them. They did not see what was happening right there as it was happening. They were missing it all. And it broke the heart of Jesus to see it play out. That wasn't all. It wasn't just a lack of vision, but also it was a looming judgment. Looming judgment. Verse 43, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Remember, Jesus is up on the Mount of Olives looking down on the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem itself sits on a hill. And that's one of the things that makes it such a challenge to an invading army because it was difficult. It wasn't susceptible to siege like many cities were because Hezekiah had fixed that long ago by digging that underground stream still there today to this day uh, that gave them an uninterruptible water supply. They had water, uh, they had food that could last for a long, long, long time. So a siege was going to be a hard way uh, to get through it. But you know, the Romans found a way to overcome that as they did many other things they just built an embankment Jesus knew that of course he could see it play out already they'll build an embankment around you uh, perhaps you've never been to the mountain fortress of Masada they did the same thing there there wasn't a mountain so big that the Romans couldn't build an embankment up to it they'd do it it might take them a year to get to you but they'd get there they knew it time was on their side They'll build an embankment around you. They did. They'll surround you. They did. They will close you in on every side. They did. Level you and your children within you to the ground. And they'll not leave a stone upon the other. If you ever visit Jerusalem, they may take you to a place that today is called the Western Wall. If you're old enough, you may remember when it was once called the Wailing Wall. It's called the Wailing Wall because it was part of the Palestinian quarter and the Jews were denied it. And so the closest they could get to the western wall of the temple, the western wall, where the stones were still stacked upon each other, the closest they could get was away. And they would stand there and howl and wail because they could not come to their temple. And but the military conquest brought it back and they promised they'd never leave it again and I doubt they ever will. It's not the Wailing Wall anymore. It's the Western Wall. But doesn't that mean that this promise of Jesus wasn't fulfilled? No, no. The Western Wall that was left was part of the foundation. That was part of the uh, part that they built up so they had a flat place up here to build it. You and I say the same thing. A tornado come through and the building was just wiped out. Nothing left but the foundation. Building was gone. House was gone. Nothing left. Business gone. Nothing left. Just the foundation. Well, that's what happened to the temple. It was left, stripped all the way down to the foundation, the walls. Some of the foundational stones were left, but everything else. Thousands died. 
These people were pretty giddy around Jesus. The Pharisees were quibbling and arguing over trivial things. And meanwhile, there was this looming judgment. And Jesus knew it. These days were coming. He could see it. He knew what was going to happen. There was a looming judgment. And these people weren't prepared for it. There is a looming judgment in the future of this planet. The Bible speaks of it very clearly. It may be a few centuries from now. It might start in a few moments. We don't know. But the same Jesus that promised the judgment of Jerusalem has promised the judgment of this planet and it's coming. Yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Time of judgment is coming on this planet that it's never seen before. Jesus wept because the people of Jerusalem were not prepared for that judgment. And I wonder how many in Cabot America and how many around the world are not prepared for that judgment. You can't experience a peace of God while you are waiting unprepared for that judgment to fall. It was coming. It was a looming judgment. Jesus saw it. He knew how terrible it was going to be. And he knows and he perhaps alone knows how terrible the fires of hell are going to be for all of those who refuse and reject Jesus Christ. I know that people in the world don't like hearing this kind of preaching. They don't like hearing this message. And even many people don't like preaching it. And I'll tell you, I'll never laugh when I preach about hell because it's not funny. Hell's a real place. People will be in torment forever. But you don't have to experience that because you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he will save you forever, (laughs) forever, if you'll ask him. The looming judgment, the lack of vision. They didn't know the looming judgment. They weren't prepared. And then the lingering ignorance. Verse 44, last part of it says, Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Remember, as I told you this story, and we began our message today, we talked about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew the time of his visitation. Isn't that interesting? That donkey, it knew the time of its visitation. Isn't that interesting? The rocks, even in a way we can't explain or know, except Jesus said that the whole creation waits and, like a, and groans and travails like a woman and child waiting for the redemption, its redemption, the redemption of the children of God. I, I don't understand how the creation waits and longs. I just accept what the Bible says. The creation knew. But of all people, the people that he came to and that he came for didn't know. They missed it. We can't help but speculate what would have happened if things would have turned out differently. They weren't going to turn out differently, but what if they had? Jesus called it your day. How much was it their day? Was the offer real? Yes. Was the time real? Yes. Yes. Did Jesus really come in riding on that donkey? Yes. 
Was it time? Oh, yes. What if they would have received him? (laughs) Could it have ushered in the millennial on the spot? Talk about peace. That wasn't in the plan. It wasn't going to happen. I know that. You know that. It didn't happen. There's no sense in speculating it. They did not know the time of their visitation. And they missed it. And the question for all of us tonight and the question for all of you watching from home tonight is this. Do you know the time of your visitation? Do you recognize what an awesome privilege it is to be able to listen to somebody tell you about Jesus Christ, how he loved you, how he died on the cross for you, how that he'll save you if you ask him to? Do you understand what an incredible thing it is for the Holy Spirit of God to touch your heart and open your heart to the message of the gospel so that you see your need to be saved because you're under conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's not the power of human persuasion. That's not the power of fear. That's the work of the Holy Spirit without which Jesus said man is stunningly ignorant of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The three critical things that we have to know, we can't know except for the work of the Holy Spirit. But he's doing his work, and he's doing it right now. Do you know the time of your visitation? Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. Will you get up off your seat and get on your knees where you sit at home? Would you respond to an invitation? Would you open your heart to Jesus? Will you call out to him? Do you get somewhere alone where you can just talk with you and the Lord? And tell him, you know you're a sinner and ask him to save you. Do you recognize the time of your visitation? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Jesus is here for you.